seems like a thousand years ago. I fought my way out of that cave. Became Iron Man. Realized I loved you. I know I said no more surprises, but I was really hoping to pull off one last one. The world has changed. None of us can go back. All we can do is our best. And sometimes the best that we can do is to start over. So we've been going through several movies you guys voted on, and this was the second most voted movie. Hope you guys watched the movie, because some of you came up to me today and said, I haven't seen any of the movies, and my wife being one of them. She's like, I haven't watched this movie yet. Um, this movie is about three hours long, and so the average is about 15 minutes per hour. So this is going to be a 45, no, I'll try to keep it short. All right, so if you watch the movie, there's a lot of characters in this, and if you stop watching the movie, like there's 21 movies prior to this one, if you stop watching after the first few years of the Marvel movie cinematic universe, uh, you probably don't know half the people in this movie. So <laughs> I'm going to do my best to focus in on just one character because there's so many characters, there's so many character arcs. We want to focus on one, and we're going to be focusing on this character, which is Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr. And the reason I picked him is because he seems to be the main character of this one. And he's the one that who started this whole thing with Iron Man. And if you're, if, so even if you haven't seen all the movies, if you've just seen a few, you probably at least know this, know this face, right? So we're going to be focusing on this one character. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is he's been in a lot of movies. So here's a list of movies he's been on. So, so the first one's Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Avengers, Iron Man 3, Avengers, Age of Ultron, Civil War, Spider-Man, Avengers, Infinity War, and finally, Avengers Endgame. How many of you guys have seen all the movies I just listed right now? Oh. <laughs> Everybody who is under the age of, I'm going to say, 40, raise their hands. And if you're over the age of 40, raise your hand, then you're still young. That's, that's good. Okay. Good. Okay. So because we don't want to stay here this long, uh, too long in service, and all the Sunday school teachers will kill me if I kept you in here any longer, I'm going to focus, next slide, I'm going to focus in on just those movies. Because these are the movies that I think will help, to, uh, to under, help us understand 
end game better, the, the character art at least. So the very first movie, Iron Man, okay, I remember seeing it in theaters. I didn't know who he was. I didn't read it. I'm not a comic book guy. So my introduction to this world was, well, basically this one movie. And uh, in the first part of the movie, if you don't know the movie, the story, Tony Stark is like this crazy rich dude who owns this like, uh, industry called uh, Stark Industries. He makes tech weapons and he sells it to the government. And as he's in Afghanistan trying to sell this tech to the government, he gets, there's, uh, there's a group of terrorists who takes over, you know, who, who capture him. And as he's captured in this cave in the middle of Afghanistan by these terrorists, he looks around, he discovers that they're using his tech to attack innocent people. So all of a sudden he realizes, oh my goodness, what I've been selling to the government, people, bad guys have been using that same tech to actually hurt innocent lives. This is not good. So while he's in the cave, he has this moment where he has to rethink his life. And while he's in this cave, he meets this guy. Next slide. This guy. His name is Jensen. Jensen. I think that's Jensen. Jensen is the guy from The Sorcerer's Apprentice, right? Okay, so Jensen. Okay, Jensen. And there's two dialogues that happen in this, in this cave that I think really help this, helps us define who Tony Stark is and his arc in this entire series of movies. And so this is the first dialogue. T stands for Tony, Y stands for Jensen. Tony says, you still haven't told me where you're from. Jensen says, I'm from a small town called Gomira. <laughs> it's actually a nice place. You got family? Jensen answers, yes, and I will see them when I leave here. And you, Stark? No. It's like, no. So you're a man who has everything and nothing. And at this point, Tony realizes for the first time he has everything he ever wanted. He, he has all the money in the world. He could buy anything he wants, but he has no family to share it with. And if you know all the movies that follow this, you'll see that over time he starts to develop a family because he was truly a man who had everything but also nothing. Now, later on in that cave, okay, um, there, he's building this suit. Uh, Jensen and, and, and uh, Tony are building this suit, which will eventually become the, the Iron Man suit so that he could, they could both escape from this cave. But in doing so, Jensen had to, had to sacrifice himself because they were, they were about to capture him, right? So Tony Stark is putting on the suit, and he's powering it up and everything. Meanwhile, Jensen's trying to stall everybody, and in doing so, he gets shot. And now he's on the ground, and he's dying. And as Tony Stark puts on his suit, he's like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's get out of here. In his dying breath, this is the conversation they have. Tony says, we got a plan. We're going to stick to it. Jensen says, no, this was always my plan, Stark. Tony says, come on, you're going to see your family. Get up. My family is dead. I'm going to see them now, Stark. It's okay. I want this. Tony says, well, thank you for saving me. And Jensen says, don't waste it. Don't waste your life. And I think this is the moment in all this, you know, in the very first movie, in the very first act, where Tony decides, I'm going to change the way I am. I'm going to start living my life to help people, to solve the problems that I created in this world. And so he builds this, <coughs> this suit, right? He escapes, and he, when he gets home, he tells everybody, guys, I'm no longer going to sell weapons. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to change the whole trajectory of my company. And then he, he goes into his little lab, and he perfects the Iron Man suit so he could go back to the terrorists and destroy them so that, that they won't cause any more terror in this world. But little did he know that his business partner, his name is Obadiah Stain, I think Stain, yeah, Obadiah Stain, who was actually dealing, selling his tech to the, to the terrorists. And so Obadiah Stain gets a hold of Tony's suit, builds himself one that's even stronger, and then they have this ultimate battle. And so this is what happened. Tony built a suit, 
to save the world. That was, he, he used his two hands to build something amazing to, to make the world better. But it backfired. Somebody else got a hold of his tech and made the world worse. Now, you're like, well, I appreciate the effort, Tony. Yeah, you know, like everybody wants to do good and everyone, every once in a while we'll mess up. I, I totally understand. But what we discover over time, and if you haven't seen this movie, you probably won't pick up on this nuance, but if you have, you know right away that Tony Stark isn't just a genius. He's also a person who's kind of full of himself. He's very self-absorbed, if you know what I mean. And so in, the, in one of the later movies called Avengers, oh, it's just Avengers, um, <clears throat> there's a conversation that Tony Stark has with Captain America, who's like this goody-two-shoe dude, okay? And, and in the conversation, you kind of get an idea of what kind of person Tony Stark is. So let's take a look at that scene. Why shouldn't the guy let off a little steam? You know damn well why. Back off. Oh, I'm starting to want you to make me. Yeah. Big man in a suit of armor. Take that off. What are you? Genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. I know guys with none of that worth 10 of you. I've seen the footage. The only thing you really fight for is yourself. You're not the guy to make the sacrifice play, to lay down on a wire and let the other guy crawl over you. I think I would just cut the wire. Always a way out. You know, you may not be a threat, but you better stop pretending to be a hero. A hero? Like you? You're a laboratory experiment, Rogers. Everything special about you came out of a bottle. That's the kind of guy he is. You think he's trying to save the world because he wants to make the world a better place, but deep down inside, there's a part of it that he's doing for the glory. He wants a big monument erected for himself. In Iron Man 2, he actually goes and starts this thing called the Stark Expo, right? There's a huge expo, and he claims it's for the world, the betterment of the world, but the way he enters makes it look like it's actually for his own glory. I mean, so he wants to save the world on one hand, but the other side of him is saying, no, no, this is for me. I want it so that I get what I want in my life. He's self-absorbed. He wants to save the world, but he holds on to himself too much that he can't really fully devote to it. So that's Iron Man 1. So let's take a look at the next. Oh, there we go. Okay. So now we're going to look at the Age of Ultron. Now, this is an interesting story because in this one, um, so Tony Stark, he has this, he's like, I want to save the world even more. So what I'm going to do is, well, me and my Iron Man suit, we can't save the world by ourselves, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create more robots that's made out of the same tech that my suit is made out of. And uh, and I'm going to give them some artificial intelligence so that they could go and save the world on my behalf. And in the process of doing that, he creates that robot called Ultron, which you see on the screen right there, right? And the order he gives Ultron is, I want you to go and save the world and defend it from the threats of the world. And this AI, this robot, eventually figures out that, okay, threats of this world, well, that would be humans. So, he start, so, so Ultron starts to kill off humans, and he realize, this robot realizes the easiest way to do that is to put them into extinction, and the best way to put them into extinction is the same way the dinosaurs went extinct, which is a meteor. So Ultron takes a whole bunch of massive land, he raises it up into the sky, and he's going to drop it down to the earth like a meteor at an accelerated speed so that the whole earth would go extinct of human, of human beings. And so Tony Stark with Avengers, you know, they get together and they try to stop it, and they're successful at stopping it. But this is really interesting because Tony built a robot to save the world. But it backfired once again because there's a part of him who was really looking for a way to save the world, yes, but at the same time, 
kind of show off to the world that, look, look how smart I am. I could build this robot. You know, like there's, there's a part of him that he can't let go of. So that's Avengers Age of Ultron. So next movie that we're going to look at is Civil War. Now, in this movie, this is really interesting because in the earlier movie, uh, Age of Ultron, when the Avengers came in to save the whole world from the meteor crashing into the, you know, into the ground, in the process, there were some innocent bystanders who died. And so in the beginning of Civil War, Tony's giving this speech at, at MIT, and as he comes off the stage, a woman confronts him and says, hey, you're Tony Stark. He's like, yeah, that's who I am, you know. And he says, she says, do you know who my son is? Like, no, I don't know who your son is. Like, well, guess what? In your efforts to save the world, my son, an innocent bystander, had to die. And it really bugs him. He feels so guilty he can't sleep at night. And then another scene, they're fighting off this bad group of bad guys, and in doing so, a lot of other bystanders, they die. And after a while, Tony starts to feel so much guilt that he can't, he can't deal with it anymore. And he basically says, maybe the reason I can't handle this is because we're responsible for all these people. Maybe what we should do is we should give up our authority to the government, the UN, and they tell us when to go fight crime, right? And if we kill somebody along the way, they take the blame. So Tony Stark's like, who's with me? We're going to sign this thing called the Sokovia Accord so that by law, we're, gonna be res- we're, we're no longer responsible for this. Instead, the UN's going to be responsible for us. And it splits the team. Because there's a group of people who are saying, no, 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 we can't trust the government. We have to go according to what we feel is right. And the other side, which is Tony's side, says, no, 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 we have to let loose of this authority we have. We have to give it up to, to, the, to the authorities. And so in this movie, Tony gave up his authority to the government to save the world. But guess what? It backfired. Tony didn't want to carry the responsibility anymore because he was like, I, I, I don't want it. He was kind of being selfish. I mean, accountability is good, but in this context, the writers of the story were trying to tell us that you know, Tony Stark was flawed in, in making this decision. And so there's two sides now. That's why it's called Civil War. Captain America's side and Tony Stark's side. And on Tony Stark's side, they're like, we need to get more help. And in doing so, he was like, I heard about this kid. He's 15 years old. He's in, in New York. Let's go recruit him. Yeah, let's do it. And in doing so, he recruited this guy named Peter Parker, which is no longer part of the uh, Sony. Okay, anyways, we're not going to talk about that. That's not the sermon today. All right, heartbroken a little bit. But in the next movie, we have, we have Spider-Man. He recruits a 15-year-old kid to fight this war, and now Tony Stark feels like he's responsible for him. So in doing so, he, he says, not only am I going to ask you to fight with us, I'm actually going to mentor you. And he mentors him. And, and, and Peter Parker is like, I want to be just like you, Mr. Stark. And Tony says, no, I want you to be better than me because I'm a flawed person. I want you to be above who I was. And in doing so, he kind of became like a father figure. Tony wanted a family, and he finally had somebody that was like a family member. He had a son named Peter Parker. Not really a son, but, you know, kind of like a son, right? And so we move on to the next movie, which is Infinity War. In Infinity War, there's a threat, and the Avengers are split. And so instead of fighting together, they decide to go fight apart from each other. And so Tony's team goes up into space to fight Thanos, the big purple grimace-looking guy. Okay, and he's going to fight him. And and in doing so, Peter Parker's like, well, I'm going to follow you. And so they fight this war, and they lose. And in losing, Tony Stark didn't just lose the fight, he also lost somebody very important to him. Let's take a look. 
I don't feel so good. You're all right. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I don't know. I don't want to go. I don't want to go, sir. Please. Please, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Tony tried to save the world, but he lost everything. Remember, he had everything, but he had nothing. And the very thing that was giving him purpose in his life, which was having like a pseudo family member in, around him, he lost him because he, he lost his fight. And so not only did he lose Spider-Man, Peter Parker, he also lost his family and also half of the population of the universe. If you watch Infinity War, you'll know that there's these stones that they had to collect, and then when you put it on this gauntlet and you make a snap, you can make any wish come true. And when he snapped, half the population randomly, so it wasn't like selective, you know, it was just randomly half the population just disappeared. And Peter Parker was a victim of that. And that as, okay, next slide. Uh, so now we're finally caught up with, with the Marvel Universe in a nutshell, okay? Because Endgame starts at that point where the world is missing half the people, half of everything. And it's been five years since this, people call it the snappening. It's been about <laughs> five years since the, the snappening. And the people who, who didn't get snapped away, they're basically thinking like, well, what do we do with our lives? And Captain America is like, I, we, we tell people to move on, but we just can't. But one person of all the, of the Avengers was able to move on, and that was Tony Stark. And as people were like, well, what, how, like, what can we do to fix this? They happened to stumble upon somebody who figured out that time travel might be possible. And that maybe we could go back in time and collect those stones and unsnap the whole thing and you know, bring back people back into existence by, by snapping. Now, now, here's the interesting thing about this movie. This is a superhero movie. It's supposed to be an action movie. But for those of you who watched the movie, which I hope is most of you, you'll notice that there aren't that many action scenes in this movie. I mean, there's this one long hour of action at the end of the movie, but leading up to it, there's almost no action. And the reason is because, and I, I listened to the commentary for three hours, so I know, <laughs> the focus of this movie is not action. The focus of this movie is character development. There's an arc to this, these characters, and that's why there's more dialogue. And some people said, oh, the first act was so slow. It's supposed to be. There's supposed to be a lot of dialogue, and you're supposed to see how people have developed and how people have fallen away and how people have grown, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? And so by the time we find out that, that time travel is possible, the group of Avengers who says we get to do time travel, but we can't figure out the last component of it, so we need to go to Tar Tony Stark and ask him, can you help us? So because by doing this, we're going to be able to bring all our friends back. But by the time they get to Tony Stark, he's no longer living in this tall building. He's living in a cabin in the woods and he's married to Pepper Potts, and he has a daughter now. And now the Avengers are trying to convince him, you need to come back and help us because we could bring back the people who were lost five years ago. Let's take a look at that scene. The execute said, time heist. I believe the most likely outcome will be our collective demise. Not if we strictly follow the rules of time travel. That means no talking to our past selves, no betting on sporting events. I'm gonna stop you right there, Scott. Are you seriously telling me that your plan to save the universe is based on Back to the Future? Isn't it? No. 
good. You have me worried there. Because be... that's not how quantum physics works. Tony, we have to take a stand. We did stand. And yet here we are. I know you got a lot on the line. You got a wife, a daughter. But I lost someone very important to me. A lot of people did. And now, now, we have a chance to bring her back, to bring everyone back. And you're telling me that you won't even... That's right, Scott, I won't even. I can't. Mommy told me to come and save you. Good job. I'm saved. I wish you were coming here to ask me something else. Anything else. I'm honestly happy to see you guys. I just... Oh, look, the table's set for six. Tony. Forget it. And I'm happy for you, I really am. This is a second chance. I got my second chance right here, Cap. Can't roll the dice on it. If you don't talk shop, you can stick and watch. He's scared. He's not wrong. Yeah, but I mean, what are, what are we, what are we gonna do? We need him. What are we gonna stop? No, I want to do it right. So these guys, they approach Tony Stark. You gotta help us. It's like, no, I got everything I already want. I always wanted a family, I got one right here. So you're, you guys are on your own. But as the, the team is leaving, they look at the whole situation and realize, no, Tony isn't really happy. He's, he's scared. He's scared of losing what he already has. But this is a very interesting question that I want to pose to all of us, okay? Because what we see here is Tony has everything he wants or he thinks he wants, right? And he should be happy. But for some reason, he's not 100% happy. There's something bugging him because he's concerned about his own happiness, right? But then he notices that everybody else around him is not happy. So the question I want to ask is this. Are we responsible beyond our own happiness? Tony Stark has everything he wants right in front of him, right around him. Me and my family, we're doing great. So I don't really care what happens to the rest of the world because I got what I want. In the Christian world, we phrase this a little different right? We don't say, as long as I'm happy, we're all okay. That's, that's, because that'd be selfish, and then people who are your friends who are Christians might judge you. Like, what do you mean? That's not what a Christian is supposed to say. But we have another way. We have a code way of saying it, right? And it's this, as long as everything is okay between me and God, I'm okay. As long as my relationship with God is fine, right? As long as I'm going to heaven, everything's going to be, you know, like, that's all that matters to me. But when you read through the pages of scripture, what we discover is, is that as long as everything is okay between me and God, is, I'm okay, is not okay. Because the Bible does talk about how we need to focus on our relationship with God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? But then there's a second part to it, which is, and you have to love your neighbors, and it, those two can't be separated. And so for us to say, all that's okay, if me and God are okay, as long as I'm going to heaven, as long as I'm going to be, you know, whatever, right? Then everything's going to be fine. And Jesus would say, no, that's wrong. That's not what I'm teaching, right? As long as, you know, I get, you know, as long as God keeps blessing me with food, I don't care if there's starving people over there. As long as I have my privileges, as long as I get to do what I think I should be able to do and the rights that, I, that are owed to me, I have it in my life and I can practice it. It doesn't matter if people, other people don't have it. As long as I'm okay, it's all good, right? When we say, as long as my relationship between me and God is fine, we're all good. It's, it's code for saying, all that matters is me. As long as God gives me what I want, it's me. And, and for Tony Stark, what he does here is interesting. What he does is that he focuses in on his family, 
and he tries to ignore the fact that he has neighbors. Because as long as there's starving people staring out through, through his window, you know, he can't feel happy with, with just him and his family. He has to do something about it. So what he does is, like, as long as you want to be here and have, have a meal with us, as long as you don't talk about those things, you're more than welcome to join me for dinner today. I mean, that's what he basically told his friends. The, the only way that this could be true, that, you know, as long as I'm happy, then that's all that matters, the only way that could be true in your life is if you are somehow really good at shutting out the unhappiness of the people around you. Now, I am not saying that you and I are responsible for the happiness of our neighbor. That's not up to you to do that, because some people will never be happy, right? What I'm saying is we have a responsibility to love our neighbors. And for Tony, even though he has his family and he has everything he ever wanted, there's something that's nagging at him. There's something that's eating away at him. And he doesn't show it the scene we just saw right now, but in the privacy of his own home when nobody else is watching, we see a glimpse of how his happiness is not really happiness because he knows that there are people out there who are suffering. Let's take a look at that scene. your favorite story? Love you tons. I love you 3,000. Wow. 3,000. That's crazy. Go to bed or I'll sell all your toys. Night-night. Not that it's a competition, but she loves me 3,000. Oh, does she know? You were somewhere in the low six to nine hundred branch. <laughs> what you reading? It's the book on composting. What's new with composting? Interesting science. I figured it out, by the way. And, you know, just so we're talking about the same thing. Time travel. What? That's amazing and terrifying. That's right. We got really lucky. Yeah, I know. A lot of people didn't. No, I can't help everybody. It sort of seems like you can. Not if I stop. I can put a pin in it right now. And stop. Tony, trying to get you to stop has been one of the few failures of my entire life. Something tells me I should put it in a lockbox and drop it to the bottom of the lake. Go to bed. But would you be able to rest? Tony Stark has come a long way. He started off as this guy who was just obsessed with himself, 
who make decisions without his teammates, right? And now we see him consulting somebody, should I do this, right? Should I help the people around me? And what's really interesting about this scene, what I really want you to focus on is this, is that Tony Stark said, I don't have to do this. I could just put it in a lockbox, toss it in the river, you know, in the lake, go to bed, and Pepper Potts looks at him and says, yeah, but you won't be able to rest. There's something nagging at Tony's heart, and Pepper knows it. You need to do something about it. He's at a fork in the road. Should I just continue with my family, ignore the rest of the world, and be happy? Or should I go out and risk losing everything and help my friends? Should I stick to my own happiness, or should I go and do what's best for the world? And that's the tension that he's feeling right here. And in the Bible, there's, there's, there's tension like that all over the place. In the Old Testament, you'll see examples over and over and over again, right? Should I, should I just do this, or should I do what God called me to do to save the world? Abraham, should I just stay here and live my life the way I'm supposed to, or should I go out there and bless the world, right? King David, should I just stay home and hang out with my brothers, or should I really be king and be the person that God called me to be? Old Testament, filled with examples. Gideon, should I just hide in this little wine area, you know, the pressing area, and wait for the, the, the invaders to come and take over my land? Or should I do what God told me to do and step up and become general and take care of my, my, my nation? Should I, what should I do? And everybody in the Old Testament who, you know, they, they end up choosing to do what's best for the world, what's best for their neighbors. In the New Testament, and this is like a really weird example, and you'll find out why, but it's the best one I could find in, in the time that we had. But there's a guy named Paul the Apostle, and he had a choice. He had a fork in the road. And the choice that he had is, a, is one that I don't think many people here would actually relate to unless you're like, you've been a Christian for a long time. But this is how that goes. So this is Paul the Apostle writing to a letter. And when he writes this letter, he's in prison, which means he could be put to death or he could be set free. He doesn't know which way it's going to go. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, if I were to live, right, then I could keep doing what God called me to do and saving the world, helping the people in the world. But if I die, then I'll be with Jesus. So either way, I win, right? So he's like, I could go either way. If I'm to go on living in, this, in the body, that means to live on, to be set free, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. He says, if, I, if, I get to, if God chooses to set me free, great, I could do more of his work. I could go and tell more people about the love of Jesus. But if I die, I, I could go to heaven. So I could be with Jesus. So, oh, I'm, I don't know what to do. And then listen to his process in the next verse. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. He says, if I were to weigh, if I were going to be honest with you, I would rather die right now. Not that he's suicidal, right? He doesn't kill himself. He's saying that if these guys were to kill me, I have no regrets because I get to be with Jesus, the one that I love so much. But listen to the way he's putting it, okay? Because he's saying, for me, what's most beneficial for me, if I didn't think about the whole world, what's best for me is that I die today. But he continues his thought. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. He says, I have a choice here. Not that he could choose, like, hey, guard, I don't want to die today, you know. But he's like, if God's will for me is to die today, I'd be very happy. And I actually prefer that because that's what I really want in life, to be with Jesus. That's all I want in my life. But for the sake of the world, and the world would be better if I actually didn't die. So, 
he looks at the two options and he notices the character of God. The character of God is basically, if you had to choose between just being about yourself and about the betterment of the world, he always chooses for the betterment of the world. So he says, now that I'm convinced of this, next verse, I know that I will remain, that means I'm going to stay living, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. He says, I've suffered so much. I've been flogged. I've been stoned. People want me dead. And day in and day out, I'm fearing for my life. You know if you're in my position, if, if it's like fearful for my life, stress, you know, death threats, but be with Jesus versus continue on that life until, you know, for, for an undisclosed amount of time. He's like, I would probably choose this, but for your sake, I choose to stick around and receive the threats that I'm receiving because I believe this is what's going to make the world better. You see, even Paul, he understands this tension that Tony Stark is facing right now. I have to choose what is best for me or what's best for the world. Now, in most cases, what I pray for everybody here is that they're not two separate things, that what's best for you is also benefiting the world, right? But in some cases, there are two different roads, two different paths, and you have to choose one. And so Tony Stark reluctantly decides to join the team. He says, okay, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll help you with this time travel thing because I figured it out. And he teaches his team, this is how you time travel. And what they discover they have to do is they have to go back in time to three different times in history to collect the stones and bring it back to the present and unsnap what Thanos did to them. And so they break up in teams and Tony Stark and Captain America, they're assigned to go to the time when his dad was still alive. Tony Stark lost his parents. They were murdered early in his life, okay? And there's so many questions and so many things he wanted to say to his dad, and he sees him right in front of him. His name is Howard Stark. And as he's looking at Howard Stark, and he doesn't want him to know that he's his son grown up, right? He starts making comments and asking him questions. And then along the way, Tony learns something huge that helps him solidify his decision on what he's supposed to do next. Let's take a look. The flowers and sauerkraut, you get a big date tonight? Uh, my wife's expecting, and uh, too much time at the office. Congratulations. Thanks. Hold this, will you? Yeah, sure. How far along is she? Uh, I don't know. She's at the point where she can't stand the sound of my chewing. I guess I'll be eating dinner in the pantry again. Yeah. I have a little girl. A girl would be nice. Less of a chance she'd turn out exactly like me. What would be so awful about that? Let's just say that the uh, greater good has rarely outweighed my own self-interest. And so, where you at with names? Well, if it's a boy, my wife likes Almanzo. Huh. Well, you might want to let that stew while you got time. Uh-huh. Let me ask you a question. When your kid was born, were you nervous? Wildly. Well, yeah. Did you feel qualified? Like you had any idea how to successfully operate that thing? I literally pieced it together as I went along. I thought about what my dad did and... (sighs) My old man, he never met a problem he couldn't solve with a belt. I thought my dad was tough on me. And now, looking back on it, I just remember the good stuff. You know, he did drop the odd pearl. Yeah? Like what? No amount of money ever bought a second of time. Smart guy. Did his best. Hey, that kid's not even here yet, and there's nothing I wouldn't do for him. 
Good to meet you, Potts. Yeah. Howard. Everything's gonna be all right. Thank you. For everything. You've done for this country. It's a very touching moment, right? <laughs> when he's in the elevator going out, he said, I hope my, you know, it'd be great if my child is a girl, because that's the less chance that, that this child could be just like me. And he said, what's, what's so wrong about that? And then he says, well, let's just say, and this is a quote, he says, the greater good has rarely outweighed my own self-interest. And if you look at Tony Stark's face, he, there's like a light bulb that goes off in his head, right? What he's basically saying is, I've been working so hard at this job that I've neglected my family. There's a greater good out there that I've completely ignored because I thought what I was working on was the most important thing in my life. What I thought was good was not good for them. And so over time, he starts to realize, this is why I can't rest at night. Tony Stark realizes the reason why I can't rest at night is because I'm always thinking about my own self-interest. And if I could start thinking about the greater good, if I could start thinking about what's best for the world, maybe then finally I could rest. Pepper Potts knew that. He said, she said, you could just ignore this whole invention of time travel you just had that could save the entire world, but you won't be able to rest. Pepper Potts knew it, and Tony Stark at this moment realizes it for himself. I'm just like my dad. My dad focused in on some things. He was just holding on to what he can. In the process of it, he neglected the entire world, and he, and, you know, he, he missed out on his family. He missed out on his son growing up. And Tony Stark realizes, for me, holding on to my family and neglecting the happiness of the entire world is what's causing my unrest at night. And so they go off into battle. They see Thanos, they get all the stones, right? And they unsnap everybody back into existence and everybody's like, woo, yay! And that happiness lasts for about like two minutes because right after that, Thanos comes in and he's really angry. And he's like, oh, you know, if I can't, if I can't you know, go on with my, 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 my evil plan to get rid of half the world population, then, then I'm just gonna destroy everybody and start a new humanity. <laughs> and he's about to snap his finger and Tony Stark grabs you know, the, the stones out of his, Thanos' hands and he puts in his own hand. And at this point, he had a choice. Because the way this world works is if you have the stone, if you do the snapping, uh, it affects you. It, it actually s scorches half of your body, right? And it can actually kill you. And so at this point, Tony Stark is thinking, what should I do? Should I snap and save the world and risk losing everything that I love, like my family, right? Or if I don't snap, I could hold on to my family. Which one should I do? Which one should I do? And this is the final scene and I edited it so it's shorter. Okay, so you're going to see some parts are missing. But, but this is the final scene I'm going to show you guys because at this scene, you'll see the decision that he makes. Let's take a look. And I am Iron Man.
Mr. Stark. Hey. Mr. Stark, can you hear me? It's Peter. Hey. We won. Mr. Stark. We won, Mr. Stark. We won. You did it, sir. You did it. You can rest now. I'm not crying, you're crying. <laughs> Up until now, Tony Stark's been contributing his skills, his tech, his gadgets, and finally he contributes his, his life. He finally was able to let go of himself. He was finally able to give himself for the world. And now he was able to rest. He was finally able to let go of his self-absorption. The guy who wrote all these comic books, his name is Stan Lee, he passed away recently. Not because of snapping, just because of old age. When he was asked, you know, like, what, is, what makes a hero a hero? Like, what, give me a definition of a hero. This is, this is what he said. He said, the definition of a hero is someone who is concerned about other people's well-being and will go out of his or her way to help them, even if there is no chance of a reward. This was the arc of Tony Stark. He kept on wanting to do good things for other people, but he always wanted a reward for it. Whether if it's recognition, or getting the girl, or whatever it might be. At the end, he always wanted something for himself. But at the end of his story, of his life, he finally got to the point where he realized, no, for me to be a hero, I have to give myself without expecting anything in response. And this is exactly what the stories of the Bible talk about is we have to love people selflessly. Because when we start loving people selflessly, that's when we start making changes in this world. In other words, fulfillment will never be met if we can't look beyond ourselves. This is the story, the life story of Tony Stark. He realized that he was always putting one foot in the hero work and the other foot in self-absorption. And in doing so, he always made the situation worse. 
But when he finally gave everything up, he finally got the family he wanted. If you look at the death scene, who was around him? The first person who showed up, his name is Rhodey. It was his best friend who he considered a brother. And then Spider-Man showed up, which he considered his own son. And then Potts, his wife, showed up. And they all surrounded him, along with the other Avengers watching this happen. And they say, you can rest now. And that, after that, Tony Stark passes away. You know, being a hero is not easy because it costs you everything. And it's not like you're going to get repayment later, you know. <clears throat> being a hero is extremely costly. And people have discovered over time, and we're not just talking about Christians, but we're talking about every people, like sociologists and psychologists, and everybody's discovered this, that actor, acts, acts of her, heroic acts don't just happen overnight. So uh, in one of the earlier movies, Captain America, the first Avenger movie, um, you know, Captain America is still this scrawny kid. He's really skinny. He has, has no muscle. <laughs> he has only just bones, I guess, and skin. Somebody throws a grenade, a fake one, but he thinks it's a real one, but he jumps over it to protect his friends. And what people, we've been learning over time is that that doesn't happen. It's not like if I throw a grenade here, everyone's going to be like, no, let me jump on it. You know, <laughs> you, you, it's, not our, it's not our nature to do that. But what we've discovered over time is that when you start sacrificing yourself little by little, day by day, when something like that happens, it just becomes so natural for you to be the one to jump on the, on the grenade. It takes little bits of sacrifices and selfless acts of kindness along the way in your life for you to eventually add, to become the person who's able to make that big sacrifice play. And what we noticed is in the past 10 to 11 years, the past 20 plus movies that Tony Stark was in, right? What we learned is that little by little, Tony Stark has learned how to make those little sacrifice plays. He, start, he learned how to make these small sacrifices along the way so that eventually he can make that big snap that cost him his life, but saved the world. So we have to start exercising our, our love muscles, <laughs> you know, our, our ability to selflessly love people little by little today, so when it really counts, we can be there to make that big sacrifice. And so when we look at the Bible and we look at the people who actually made those big sacrifice plays, right, and there was somebody in the Bible who wrote about this, who looked at all the things in the Old Testament of all the people who selflessly did the things that they were supposed to do for the sake of the world, they said, well, how did they do it? And they're like, he's like, I don't know how this, these people did it, but I do know how the people in my generation do it. These are the people who follow Jesus. And you know how they did it? They look to Jesus, they fix their eyes on Jesus so that they look at him on the cross and say, that's how he did it, so that's how I have to do it. So this is Hebrews chapter 12. This is from half, second half of verse, verse one to verse two. And, and let us run, the pers- run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the, of the throne of God. What he's saying is this. If you are ever in a place where you're like, should I just go with what makes me happy, or should I go with what's going to help the world? And if you're like, I don't know what to do, and this person uses the metaphor of a race, you know, if you're running, right, and you want to get to the goal, but you, you're being distracted by your own happiness, now, by the way, happiness is not bad. I hope you're all happy, okay? So, okay, but he says, but if you're ever at that point, we have to make that decision. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus because he's the one that made the biggest sacrifice play of all time. And as, as long as you're fixing your eyes on him, then it'll make it more and more natural for you to make those important decisions in life that will make a difference to people around you. He says, Jesus is our example. He was the one that was ultimately selfless. He's the one that gave himself completely without any kind of repayment. 
and this author here, he basically kind of at the end kind of throws in that thing that says, oh, and by the way, he didn't ask for anything, but he did get the throne. <laughs> you know, like he ended up being the king of kings, king of kings, lord, lord of lords. But still, he says, but to be selfless in doing these things, right, the key to that is fixing your eyes on the ultimate example, and that's Jesus. And so the question here is this, right? We look back at the story of Tony Stark. Yes, a fictional story, I understand, right? But we look back at that and we say, what a great way to end his story, right? When, when he died, people were sad, people were crying, yeah, right? But everybody came out of the theater saying, but what a great ending to his life, right? And the question is, one day people are going to look back at your story and say, how did that person, how did Kotz live his life? Did he live for his own happiness or did he make a dent in this world? Did he leave the world better than he, he, than he saw in the first place? Did, was it better that he was here than a world without him? And my hope is that for, when you guys ask yourselves that, that question, that you would say, yes, I want to live a life where when people look back at my story, they would say, I'm glad that so-and-so was in this world because of this person, this world is a better place. Maybe recently you experienced somebody passing away a friend, a parent, a child, somebody, and you were at the funeral service and you heard the story. This person did this, this person was selfless, this person gave all that pers- this person was for the sake of this amazing world. And you look at it and say, wow, I wish I could live a life like that. And I pray that one day when our lives are over, we could all look back at our lives and say, yes, this person moved out of just being absorbed and about their own happiness and moved into a place where it said, yes, you contributed to the kingdom of God. The world is better because you have lived in it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.